me to heal the brokenhearted, bring sight to the blind, to free the captives, for this is the year of the Lord. He says, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your ears. So as you hear that roar of victory, what I saw as we were worshiping was I saw shackles hitting the floor. I saw hardness of heart coming off. So your heart is gonna be completely open tonight because it doesn't matter who you are. We all need a bigger and better revelation of who Jesus is for us right now. So give the Lord a hand and be seated, please. So if you've got a mobile phone or a tablet, you can follow tonight's message on version, so you can go along with the verses. They'll also be up here too. But I wanna start off just by letting you know that we are going to do, through the summer, a really great series called the Foundation Series. And this really came from, uh, from Pastor Bernie's heart. And the verse that the Lord gave him was Psalm 11.3, which says, if the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? And what it really sets up is a backdrop of what's going on in our current culture. The worldly culture versus the kingdom of God. And it almost seems like the righteous are running around and we don't know what to do. We get upset by every, trust me, in the news there's something every day that can get you offended and that can get you upset. But what we're looking at here is if the foundations are destroyed, what will the righteous do? If we have a foundation, we are going to be impermeable to whatever culture says. In fact, we'll start to turn the tide and we'll start to infect the worldly culture with the kingdom of God. The problem is, is that the church, we haven't been so well equipped to be able to handle opposing arguments with the goodness of God and with the grace of God. But all that is changing because we're getting a better perspective of who God really is for us and really what he wants to do in reaching out to the world. So the importance of a foundation. Anybody ever done Parade of Homes? Anybody ever watched a home improvement show? Okay, I get sucked into those. My wife's watching one and I wanna watch sports or something, but three minutes and I'm hooked. So, but you go to like Parade of Homes. You know, nobody ever goes into these nice, fancy homes with all the great furniture, the decorations, how all the frames and the pictures, accent, everything's lovely. But nobody ever goes into these homes and goes, wow, what a beautiful foundation. The foundation on this house is great. It's better than all the ones I've ever seen. No, the foundation is something that you don't see. But I guarantee you, it's gonna affect the value of that home if the foundation has a big crack in it. Everything is based on that foundation. So we're gonna talk about the foundations during this series. And before we get into that, I wanna talk about Jesus, our cornerstone. Because it's all about Jesus. Everything is all about Jesus. And we have a similar argument going on today in culture and the kingdom of God as if, we, as if it was in the book of Hebrews. The writer in Hebrews, he's writing to Jewish Christians who are having a problem coming out of their old culture and living in the kingdom of God. And what are we really doing? We're, we're learning to live from a higher position in Christ. We're learning to live from a different place in him. And in the old covenant, in the Old Testament, it was an agreement about visitation. God visited his people. 
In the new covenant, it's about God having a habitation with his people. God came to live and abide within our hearts. So in the Old Testament, they had to follow all the rules, make all the sacrifices in order to get God to visit them. Where in the New Testament, it's not all about keeping the rules, it's all about what Jesus did. The gospel is not about what we do, it's about what Jesus did. Thank God, because we get to participate in his divine nature because of what he did, not because of what we do. So we're learning to operate at a new level. We're learning to develop a new perspective and a a way to look at life. Because Jesus says the kingdom of God is now inside of us. So no longer do we have to look outside of us for the kingdom of God. No longer do we have to pray for God to open up the heavens because the kingdom of heaven is inside of us. And God wants so desperately, he has such a passionate desire to show you that so that you realize it in such a way where he can flow out of you and he can affect others that you come in contact with and they want to taste and see that the Lord is good. Hebrews chapter five, verse 11 through 14. Now, this verse, it's a little bit kind of in your face, so don't take it as me reading it to you. This is, this is the Bible, okay? I wouldn't dare say this to you, okay? There is much more we would like to say about this, but it is difficult to explain, especially since you are spiritually dull and don't seem to listen. You have been believers so long that you ought to be teaching others. Instead, you need someone to teach you again the basic things about God's word. You are like babies who need milk and cannot eat solid food. For someone who lives on milk is still an infant and doesn't know how to do what is right. Solid food is for those who are mature, who through training have the skill to recognize the difference between right and wrong. Okay, babies don't know right and wrong. You know, I've been in rooms before where a baby just drops a bomb in its diaper and just infiltrates the whole room, and he's got no idea, or she's got no idea that it was wrong, right? So when we had, our, we have an eight-year-old and a five-year-old now. When they were three and an infant, it took 30 minutes to leave the house. They can't do anything on their own. We gotta get them dressed. We gotta make sure the diaper bag's packed. We got this whole program, a list of things that we gotta go through to get them ready to just go to the store. Now that they're eight and five, they can actually dress themselves. There's a little bit of freedom that's starting to come in. But what what the writer of Hebrews is trying to communicate to us is that when we become believers, there's a process of growing into the knowledge of who we are in Christ. Because if we remain babies, babies can't only help themselves, they can't really help anyone else. They can't tell people about the goodness of God They can't testify the good things that God's done for them. They're pretty much just takers. And they depend on the parents to make sure that everything for them is provided. We need training. I talked about it in that verse. We need training. And not in a sense to where it's a bunch of to-dos or a task list or anything like that. But we just need training because God knows that we've spent a lifetime living in the culture of the world. God knows the struggles that we have every day. God knows the things that are put before our eyes and the things that we have to face. He knows all that. However, we need to learn how to live from his perspective because when we see us as God sees us, 
we start to change. And we start to change in a real way that's lasting. And we start to discover who we really are. We start to discover that we have an inheritance. Hebrews chapter 6, and these are the foundations. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 1 and 2, it says, Therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God and of the doctrine of baptisms, of laying on of hands, of resurrection of the dead, and of eternal judgment. There's six foundational truths in there that we're going to go through over the summer. But there's really a seventh, which we're going to talk about tonight. And that's Jesus, the cornerstone, or Jesus, our high priest. And the elementary principles of Christ are grace and truth. Hebrews chapter 6, I'm going to bookend these foundations with this. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 11 through 12 says, And we desire that each one of you show the same diligence so as to realize the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you will not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. In the same way, God, desiring even more to show the heirs of the promise, which is you and which is me, the unchangeableness of his purpose interposed with an oath so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have taken refuge would have strong encouragement to take hold of the hope set before us. We must be passionate about taking hold of the hope that Jesus sets before us. This hope we have as an anchor of our soul, a hope both sure and steadfast, and one which enters within the veil where Jesus has entered as a forerunner for us, having become a high priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. I want you to remember that Jesus as high priest, okay, because we're going to revisit that. But I want to talk about just who Jesus is tonight in the area of grace and truth. And here is where I think you're going to get an awesome revelation, and you're going to have fun with this because I had so much fun preparing this as God was revealing what grace and truth really are. So beginning in John chapter one, verse 14 through 17. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified about him and cried out saying, this was he of whom I said, he, come, he who comes after me has a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. For of his fullness we have all received, and grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. It says it twice, grace and truth. Jesus was full of grace and truth. And when it comes to grace, it's more misunderstood than it is given or received. Grace is not undeserved favor. That's a definition that a lot of us are accustomed to. If grace were undeserved favor, then Jesus wouldn't have had any. He was the most deserving of them all. And the Bible said that he grew in grace. Grace is the empowering presence of God that enables us to be like Jesus. Soak on that for a second. Grace is the empowering presence of God of God that enables us to be like Jesus and how it works beautifully with truth. Truth 
is the perspective of God that establishes who we are in Jesus. So when God looks at you, he sees you in Christ. He doesn't see your struggles. He doesn't see your sin. He doesn't see the worst part of you that torments you every day. He doesn't see the shame. He doesn't see the guilt. He sees none of that. Because when God looks at us, he sees the finished product. He sees our end. He doesn't see our beginning. So what grace allows us to do is it allows us to be present with God in every step in that process. Because for God, it's not about the outcome. He knows the outcome. It's about the process. Because it's in the process that grace is such a relational force. It's with us every step of the way. So grace is that empowering presence to be with us. So when God looks at you, he sees perfection. He sees Jesus Christ. And that is awesome. That is the beauty of the gospel. That again, it's not about what we do, it's about what he did. And how awesome that we get to explore that process and we get to explore the depths of God through grace. And Jesus is the champion of grace. It's kind of like this. When we had, our, our, our boys were babies before they learned to walk. This is, this is what grace does. You get down on their level and you give them just the biggest smile and they're propped up against a, a, a chair or, or a table and you know, they're just all fat with little rolls. They look like the Michelin baby, you know? And you're just, you get down at their level and come on, you can do it, come on. And you're just encouraging them and you're smiling and they see your face. They see your, your ear to ear grin. They hear your voice and they hear your encouragement and they just wanna be where you are. And they take that first step and what happens? They hit the floor. Do you yell at them? Do you berate them? No, you pick them up, you throw them in the air, you turn them around, you give them a fat blow on their back and their, and their back fat, and then you give them one on their belly, and then you smile at them, laugh at them, and you put them back up again, and you go again. Come on, you can do it. And the Bible even says that when we behold Jesus, when we see him face to face, we become radiant. Where do you think we get that from? That's grace for us every day. God doesn't matter how much we struggle. It doesn't matter to God how much we struggle. It doesn't matter how much we fall as long as we're stumbling and falling towards him because grace will pick you up every time because he sees the end and he is with you every step in the process. You know, we just recently got a dog. It's a Labradoodle. They're, they're, they're kind of an oddity because they don't shed. So, cool dog. House training is an ongoing issue. So, one morning I get up for a workout and I let the dog out. And then I get done with my workout before I get into my studies. And, you know, the dog peed on the floor. So, to discipline it, you have to take its nose, put it in the spot, and whack it and say, bad, right? So as I'm walking back down the stairs, God says, what if I did that to you? And as he asked me that, it was more of a laugh question. So I knew the dialogue that he wanted to open up with me at that point. But then he says, how many of my children 
think that's my reaction to when they fail. You've got to see grace for what it is. It's God's empowering presence that enables you to be like Jesus. In Christ, you are complete, you are whole, you are lacking nothing. But then when you open your eyes to the current reality, there's a big gap that has to be made up. But that's okay, because God so desires to be involved in every step of that process. So we get to declare God's confidence. Grace says something like this, I'm gonna overwhelm you with my presence to the point to where you become confident in who I am for you right now. I am going to take away your shame and cause you to overcome every circumstance in your life. You're gonna laugh in situations. Things are gonna happen in your life and you're not even gonna be affected because you have my grace. Now, if we don't understand that, we get kicked around and we lose focus. Our foundation isn't set. And if the foundation isn't set, we start to wonder, what do we do? What's going on? We start to ask the question, why? Instead of thinking, not why is this happening to me, but how can I affect this situation with the grace of God? How can I make this situation line up with God's truth about me in my current circumstances? Grace and truth together dictate how we see ourselves. 2 Corinthians 5, 16 through 21 says, so from now on, we don't look at anyone the way the world does. At one time, we looked at Christ in that way, but we don't anymore. Anyone who believes in Christ is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. It is all from God. He brought us back to himself through Christ's death on the cross, and he gave us He has given us the task of bringing others back to him through Christ. God was bringing the world back to himself through Christ. God was bringing, he did not hold people's sin against them. I want to stop right there. He did not hold people's sin against them. You ever get so busy berating people for their sin? Because you call it speaking the truth in love? I know I do because we regard people from a world's perspective. Can you imagine if everybody in your life, if you saw them as God sees them, how would you treat them? How would you respond if they insulted you? It would be a lot different as you're empowered by the grace of God, but that's what grace does. Grace says, I'm going to be with you in every situation. I'm going to dictate your response. I'm going to help you I'm going to stabilize you, I'm going to cause you to act in love, and I'm going to cause you to see others as I see them. And that, in essence, is love. That's what this whole verse is about, being an ambassador for Christ, and that's when we really start to turn the tide on the enemy, and when we start to plunder hell to populate heaven. Once we get an understanding of that, it's like this, we're so taken back by things that happen in culture, when are we gonna get to the place to where culture is taken back by the goodness of God that we're displaying through us and the grace of God? That's when it becomes like, a, we, you become a powerhouse, you become so mighty in the things of God that you're not challenged by difficult people, you're not challenged by difficult situations or circumstances. Instead, you're like, bring it. That's the attitude of grace. And grace is so powerful that even a sufficient amount of it is good enough to overcome the enemy. 
In Corinthians, Paul talks about, I had this thorn in my flesh. He asked Jesus to take it away three times. And Jesus kept saying, my grace is sufficient for you. So even just a sufficient amount of grace is enough to overcome the enemy. Picking up here in this verse. God has trusted us with the message that people may be brought back to him. So we are Christ's official messengers. It is as if God were making his appeal through us. And here is what Christ wants us to beg you to do. Come back to God. Christ didn't have any sin, but God made him become sin for us so we can be made right with God because of what Christ has done for us. So imagine this, we're in Christ, right? And if we're in Christ, all of our life circumstances are in Christ. So no matter matter what happens, we have the high ground. We stand on this ground called grace. So no matter what happens in our lives, we drag that thing thing onto the mat of grace. And we take it on our ground because we, we have the victory no matter what. Grace gives us a place to stand. Okay, God knows, again, that we're learning to live on this higher level. But when we get opposed by difficult people, situations, and circumstances, if we're not prepared, if we don't have our foundation strong, we might as well hang a sign on our neck that says, excuse me, I'm about to have a carnal moment. Or excuse me, I'm about to act out in a foolish way that doesn't represent the God that is in my heart. So being prepared and having our foundation solid, knowing who God is and knowing who we are is essential to being effective in the kingdom of God. God gives us a lifestyle through grace. Grace gives us a language that we speak. Ephesians chapter one, verse three through eight says, give praise to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. Those blessings come from the heavenly world. They belong to us because we belong to Christ. God chose us to belong to Christ before the world was created. He chose us to be holy and without blame in his eyes. He loved us, so he decided long ago to adopt us. He adopted us as his children with all the rights children have. He did it because of what Jesus Christ has done. It pleased God to do it. Oftentimes we lose sight of that. It pleases God to extend grace towards us. All those things bring praise to his glorious grace. God freely gave us his grace because of the one he loves. We have been set free because of what Christ has done. Because he bled and died, our sins have been forgiven. We have been set free because God's grace is so rich. He poured his grace on us by giving us great wisdom and understanding. Look at the language there about grace. The language is so rich. It actually uses the word extravagant in another translation. And the word extravagant pretty much means to be so unrestrained to the point it appears to be wasteful. And God just can't help himself. He gives us grace upon grace, upon grace, upon grace, upon grace. You're in this situation, here's grace. Oh, you're gonna approach this difficult person today, here's some grace. He's just pouring it out all the time. 
He, he can't, he literally, he cannot help himself. He's so extravagant with it. He's so rich with it. He's so unrestrained with his grace because his desire is so great for you to experience the fullness of what he gave so much for you to taste. So what does it look like to have grace lavished on you? I pray that right now you're starting to get a picture in your heart of what that looks like to just have an extravagant amount of empowering presence over your life every moment of your day. Every situation that you're in, no matter if it's in failure or if it's in triumph, it doesn't matter to God. God's approved us. He looks at all of us and he goes, sons and daughters, my beloved, in whom I am well pleased. And there was a time in my life I couldn't accept that. There was a time in my life I was struggling with a lot of things after I was born again, struggling with this, struggling with that. And then God approaches you with that statement that you are my beloved son and I am well pleased with you. God, you can't tell me that. I know what I, I, know what I did today. I know what I'm struggling with. You can't talk like that to me. But God says, not from my point of view. When are you gonna believe about yourself what I believe about you? Once you see you as God sees you, you're going to start to transform into that image. God's, God has such a vision for you in Christ. It's incredible, and it's worth giving your entire life to explore because that's his truth about you. God's truth about you is that you are perfect in Christ, that you are equipped with everything that you need to tackle anything that the enemy wants to throw your way. You are a powerhouse. You are unstoppable. Grace says the ground that you stand on is unshakable. Things that come against you will flee from you seven ways. Things that come into your life to destroy you and to curse you, I will turn into a blessing. That's what grace says. God says, I am able to make all grace abound towards you so that in everything, in any situation, you have more than enough. That's grace. And that contradicts the voice that goes on in our heads so much, doesn't it? About how we're inadequate, about how we're failures, about we're not doing this right. Oh, did you see so-and-so, super Christian? You don't really measure up to them. But grace says something different. 1 Corinthians 15, 9 through 10, Paul says, I am the least important of the apostles. I'm not even fit to be called an apostle. I tried to destroy God's church, but because of God's grace, I am what I am. And his grace was not wasted on me. No, I have worked harder than all the other apostles, but I didn't do the work. God's grace was with me. Now, here's the beauty of grace. When we're down on ourselves, God's grace still enables us. God still aggresses to us in a powerful way, picks us up, and wants to be involved in that process. Because he knows when he comes and picks us up and gets in that process, we just get a deeper revelation of our relationship with him. Grace isn't an excuse to be less than God's best. That's also what Paul's saying here. That's an issue that's really big right now in the body of Christ, that grace is an excuse to do whatever I wanna do. I've heard it before. People ask and they demand grace. 
You need to give me grace for that. Well, maybe I need to give you understanding, but you've got grace. You've got empowering presence. And grace isn't an excuse to be less than what God has designed you for. Grace is an empowerment to experience the fullness of God. Okay, grace is everything. We like to think of grace maybe as showing compassion. We forgive people, we call it grace. We extend tolerance and we call it grace. I mean, these are all characteristics that can be you know, drawn out of grace. But grace, remember, is empowering presence so that way you can be like Jesus. It's a fullness. It's an inheritance. It's a picture. It's the ground you stand on. It's the sphere in which you live and walk. You know, there's sometimes I get so excited about the grace of God, I don't know what to do with myself. I mean, I just think about how awesome and mighty God is to me. And I always like to ask myself this question. You know, what what do you want to be for me right now, Lord? Because God desires to be involved with every detail of your life. What do you want to be for me right now? And that's just an amazing question. Because grace is aggressing to you. It's empowering presence to be like Jesus. It's aggressing to you all the time. Constantly. Remember, it's extravagant. It's lavished upon you. Where sin abounds... Grace abounds much more. So in other words, when we encounter someone that's overcome by sin, the real question is, how much grace do we need to extend to them? How much grace does this person need to see the truth about them through the lens of the finished work of Jesus? How much grace do they need to be able to understand they've been delivered from a certain thing? How much grace needs to abound or be lavished upon them to be delivered, for them to see who they really are in Christ? It's a staggering question. What happens is most of the time, we like to call people out for their behavior instead of calling them up to their identity. Because if you're calling someone out for something that God does not see true about them. We become accusers. We become beraters. We become not really objects of the goodness of God. We become objects of criticism and judgment. But when we see people through the lens of God's grace and truth, we aggress towards them in love and we are showing them who they really are. Again, we're not calling out their behavior. We're calling them up to their identity and who they really are. And when people understand who they really are, sin's not a problem. We only sin because we forget who we are. Because sin is basically an attempt to fulfill a need outside of God. So when we forget our inheritance and how rich we are with grace, we try to fill that need because we forget our identity. We forget that we're in Christ. Instead, we need to take hold of that hope, which is an anchor for our soul. We're not fighting the world, right? We're dragging the world onto the mat of grace, and we're taking it on our ground. 
John chapter 8, verses 31 through 32. Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth will make you free. The truth will make you free. A lot of times we think about that as behavior modification. You know, if so-and-so would just quit doing that and get in line with what they're supposed to do, they're going to be free. But again, the truth is God's perspective of us through the finished work of Jesus Christ. And when we abide in the word, you know, I talk to a lot of people, they're at, they always ask, you know, how do I hear the voice of God? How do I know if God's talking to me? If you don't know God's written word, it's tough to hear God's voice. Because God will always speak according to his word. And I didn't notice I have to give this example to my wife because it's brilliant. When I got born again, um, I experienced a tremendous amount of victory early on. And I, I couldn't explain it. I couldn't teach it. It made me appear to be arrogant and cocky. But what it related to was when a, when a baby's in the womb, you know, the dad or the mom will speak to that baby. Words of encouragement, affirmation. And the baby recognizes the sounds and the tone behind it, but can't put the words together. So God was speaking words of encouragement as I was getting into his word. You know, I would, I would have a miserable failure and I would be just berating myself and you'd hear that still small voice. You're more than a conqueror. You're an overcomer. Oh man, I did that again. I'm such a failure. You're a success. But if you don't know what the word says about you, it's tough to hear those voices. It's tough to hear that still small voice of God that's giving you a foundation of truth in your conscience. So Jesus says, if you abide in my word, you're my disciples, and then you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. There's such a freedom in knowing God's word. And truth isn't a set of rules to follow. Truth is a set of beliefs to guide our hearts to see ourselves as God sees us. John 17, 17 says, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Okay, Jesus is our high priest. And what's cool about this, and this, you're not gonna have this verse because I just kind of felt like I wanted to go here. So in Hebrews chapter four, verse 14, it says, therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold fast to our confession for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are yet without sin. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. You know what I love about Jesus? He knows every weakness I've ever had. He knows my failure, but the one who knows me the most also loves me the most. That is what I find the most beautiful thing about my Savior. He's able to sympathize with you in your weakness. That's why the word says that when you're weak, he is strong. He loves us the most. Nobody loves you more than Jesus. He loves to do the will of the Father. He loves to take what the Father says and then show that to us. He came to display the Father. The Father's love and the Father's heart for us is so grand, so awesome that we get to be his children. Ephesians 4.15 
It says, but speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ. You know, God extends grace to us so he can speak the truth to us in love. And grace will always come first. It's that empowering presence. So what happens is God comes and smothers you with grace. He uses grace as a springboard to introduce you to truth. He overwhelms you with his love. He overwhelms you with his presence. And then he shows you who you really are. That's the power of grace and truth working in harmony. Not only do you get to see who he is, you get to see who he's made you to be, and he gives you the presence and the ability to be that. And we're not, we're not calling people out for their behavior. Again, we're calling them up to their identity. So when I hear people say, I like to speak the truth in love, I know what they're really meaning. I mean, I like to, I like to call people out for what they're doing wrong so that way they'll line up with what they should be doing is right. How many of you are guilty of that? I'll, be, I'll raise two hands. Because it's easy. We, it, you know, the, the enemy is so deceptive. You know, if he can get us fighting and bickering amongst each other and then with the world, he knows that we're never going to realize who we are. He, he works so hard to keep grace in such a confined space through religion. You talk about grace to a religious person, they'll immediately belittle it. They'll call it cheap grace. As if it didn't cost... God, his one and only son, to purchase that for us so that way it can come and be with us all the time. And truth isn't a standard of behavior. Truth is God's reality about who we are. So when we speak the truth in love to people, we're speaking to who they are in Christ. And I've done this before. I've had somebody say something insulting about me or you know, belittle me or just maybe a slight jab that's so subtle you really can't call them out for it. And in my heart, I'm thinking, quick, Lord, show me something magnificent about that person because I don't want to think of them as somebody who just offended me. I want to see them as you see them. And you start to pray for them. I'm telling you, there's some cool things that happen when you live that kind of a lifestyle. Because really what happens is when you decide that you're going to speak the truth in love in a negative way, you've really been offended. And when you're offended, you really need a better relationship with the Holy Spirit because he is the comforter. He is the one who can encourage you and, and, and give you what you need to be an overcomer. And then we really get to affect people that way. It's, it's crazy how that works. And it's so fun. It's, it's, it's very fun to live like that. Romans chapter five, verses one through five. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. How beautiful is that language that God uses as he aggresses to us in love? And when we're in our sufferings, you know, I want to be just vulnerable with you for a second. You know, I, I hear a lot, just like you guys do, of, of different words of shame that attack your identity, 
you're not enough. What you said to that person, that wasn't really good. You're inadequate. They don't love you. You're a failure. So-and-so doesn't like you. I mean, you know. Anybody heard those voices before? They, they play over and over again in your head. Those, those negative feelings, they start to rise up as you start to entertain these voices. Next thing you know, you're doubting your call. You're doubting your sonship or doubting that you're a daughter of God. You're doubting if you're in the right place where God wants you to be. Am I the only one? Or you guys experienced that too? But what happens in that moment? What are we doing? Are we shutting those voices down and letting a greater voice speak truth to us? Or do we keep letting that cycle of destructive, berating dialogue going on? And that's my goal for you tonight. My number one goal for you tonight is begin to open up a dialogue with God. All right, ask yourselves, what does that look like for God to invade my relational space with his grace and truth and begin to start a real dialogue with me? And that starts by understanding who you are. So I'm gonna do a little exercise tonight, right? I want everybody to close their eyes. Okay, I want you to imagine your struggles. I want you to imagine your pain. I want you to revisit any wounds that you haven't addressed or healed. I mean, you're by yourself. Nobody can read your heart and what's going on there right now, but God can. God addresses to you and you don't have to be ashamed of that thing that you're hiding. You don't have to be condemned for listening to the negative voices that have been going over and over and over again. You're not subject to those. That's not your reality, that's not God's truth about you. So take all that negative garbage and in the context of your heart, give it to Jesus. Because Jesus is an overwhelming presence. He came to set you free. He came to inhabit your darkest places and to shine his light there. Okay, now I want you to open your eyes and look at me. Grace is so overwhelmingly more than enough for you. God validates you. God's grace calls you his son. God's grace calls you his daughter. These struggles, this pain, it's not your reality. God has a new reality for you. God has a new day for you. God has a new heart for you. God has a new vision for you. Jesus says, behold, I come to make all things new. So take all that and just shove it to the side. Because Jesus Christ came to sit on the throne of your heart. And when you hear the roar of the king, it completely leaves you unshackled. You are completely free to explore the depths of what he has for you, the full potential of life that he has come to give you. And I don't care if you're down here in your spirituality or up here. We're all in the same boat together. right? We're all in the family of God. We're all so tightly knit together. We're in this together. You look around at each other. We're all stuck with each other, not only now, but through eternity. So we better get used to it right now. We better get used to seeing each other as God sees us. We better get used to seeing the truth that God has for us about each other. 
And then what's going to happen? As we get to behold each other, we're going to see what God's doing in other people. And we're going to begin to get excited about what God's doing in so-and-so. And then we're going to get more determined and more encouraged to, to take hold of the hope that God has for us. And it's just going to keep going back and forth between people. Everybody you come in contact with, with a church family, you're going to get excited. Next thing you know, the culture of a real church family that God is empowering with his overwhelming presence is going to start to overflow into a world which desperately needs to know how good our God is. Next week, we're going to talk about that, the goodness of God, because that's the first foundational truth that we're going to talk about in Hebrews is repentance from dead works. So we're going to talk about how the goodness of God brings us to repentance, and we're going to take the goodness of God into a world which needs to know him as good. And they're going to be bewildered. They're going to be astonished. They're going to see, God. I thought God was angry at me. I thought God was looking at me and wanting to rub my nose in my own sin and then spank me for it. God, that's not our God, is it? So make sure you come next week. We're going to talk about the goodness of God. If you would bow your heads, we're going to pray. Before we pray, I want to speak to those of you who do not identify yourselves as sons and daughters of God. You've yet to open your heart and let the Lord Jesus Christ come in and cause this beautiful exchange to happen. You're in a fog. You can't see clearly. You're wondering what life's all about. You're wondering what this hope is that we're talking about. But yet God is knocking at the door of your heart, wanting to show you who you are, and he's calling you home. So I'm speaking to you right now. If you'd like to taste and see that the Lord is good, if you'd like to dive into this thing we call being born again and being a believer, okay, I'm gonna count to three and I want you to raise your hand. The first thing that you're doing is you're saying, you know what? I don't know what my life's all about. I don't know why I'm even here, but I know this. I know my sin is forgiven I know that my shame is gone, and I know that there is no more condemnation for me. One. You're saying, I need a savior. I'm in the dark. I don't know which way's up. I don't know which way's down. I don't know where my life's going, but I want to know right now. Two. You're saying, I am open to a life where the possibilities are unlimited. I am open to a life of being loved and being empowered and being accepted and being validated and finding out who I really am. Three, if that's you, raise your hand. Are there any in here? One back here, thank you. Anyone else? Anyone else? Awesome. If you, if you raise your hand, would you stand up, please? Just be bold and stand up. That's awesome. Listen, the word of God says that when you make a stand among people for him, that he honors that. So I'd like us all to extend our hands toward this new believer. The Bible says that all of heaven is rejoicing and celebrating like crazy whenever one sinner comes to repentance. You have just opened yourself up to a lifestyle of grace and truth, and God is gonna do amazing wonders in and through your life. So repeat this prayer after me. Let's all repeat this prayer with her. Father God, I thank you that you provided the ultimate price 
for me to experience the gift of salvation. By your grace, I receive it right now. By your truth, I see who I really am. And my life changes right now. In Jesus' name. Everybody say amen. Amen. Thank you. All right, so I hope all you guys were blessed tonight. Uh, again, come out next week. We're gonna talk about the goodness of God. So look forward to seeing you again. I appreciate you guys listening. Uh, so Ryan, if you wanna come up and lock her down, that'd be great. Um, real quick, one thing I forgot. This book right here, when I was talking about your, your little action step, to start understanding who you are in Christ. We got these little books at guest services. It's called Who, Am, who I Am in Christ. Read these. Start to confess them over yourself. Start to hear God telling you and reassuring you of these things, and I promise you, your life's gonna change dramatically, and you're gonna start to experience the fullness of God like never before. Thank you.